but it's it's a great celebration of sabotage, but also a, a kind of an analysis and a commentary about how this kind of sabotage, the kind of micro resistance we talked about in like the Amazon warehouses was actually going on within the early days of Silicon Valley, within these, these computer companies and the computer industry. And at the, the very beginning of this essay starts, what office worker hasn't thought of dousing the keyboard of her word processor with a cup of steaming coffee, hurling the mo- her modular telephone headset through the plate glass window or her supervisor's cubicle, or torching up the stack of input forms waiting in her inbox with a misplaced cigarette? The impulse to sabotage the work environment is probably as old as wage labor itself, perhaps older. I like this already because fire. <laughs> because I, I like the I like the the fantasy of it, right? It's like it, it, it does it taps into this thing. Like who hasn't had a job? You know, like I remember like my first jobs when I was in high school, working at McDonald's and then Pizza Hut, and having these same exact fantasies running mm-hmm. through my head for my entire shift. Yep. Whenever I worked in food service, I was like, what if I just destroyed the, the machine here? What if I just destroyed the stove <laughs> or unplugged it? What would happen if I unplugged the stove and pretended like it just stopped working for the rest of the day? And so Gidget Digit goes on to say, in a really like prescient way, um, quote, the current upsurge in the use of computerized business machines has added fuel to the fire, so to speak. Word processors, remote terminals, data phones, and high-speed printers are only a few of the new breakable gadgets that are coming to dominate the modern office. Designed for control and service, they often appear as the immediate source of our frustration. Damaging them is a quick way to vent anger or to gain a few minutes of downtime Mm -hmm. i mean right there already right like the very like the purposes of sabotage have been the same since the beginning right Mm -hmm. like throw a wrench in the gears get a few minutes of downtime just take out some anger right i'm thinking about the the famous scene in office space where they you know they take the fax machine uh or the printer or whatever like out (laughs) to the field and they're just fucking like while damn it feels good to be a gangster is playing just fucking bashing that shit with a hammer stomping on it with their boots like just this just this moment of like pure luddite catharsis and it's so funny that you and jeremy said that at the same exact time <laughs> <laughs> literally the, the second the words remember came out of your mouth they were all typed up by jeremy who typed up remember the producer from office (laughs) (laughs) yeah no there's uh there's really good it's um you know one of my favorite i think like running through this essay i love how constantly it weaves together fantasies to and and feelings that we all share to like bring you into you know, a deeper conception or a a way to oppose this, right? Like when she goes on to say, uh, sabotage is more than an inescapable desire to bash calculators. It is neither a simple manifestation of machine hatred, nor is it a new phenomenon that has appeared only with the introduction of computer technology. Its forms are largely shaped by the setting in which they take place. The sabotage of new office technology takes place within the larger context of the modern office, a context which includes working conditions, conflict between management and workers, dramatic changes in the work process itself, and finally, 
relationships between clerical workers themselves, right? This is getting back to what we were talking about with the Luddites, right? The Luddites, you know, the the stocking frames had been around, you know, at that point for almost 300 years. It wasn't that they were against stocking frames, right? There were new contexts that emerged in which the people who owned the stocking frames were now accelerating the rate at which they were putting people out of work while doing nothing and collecting money and using that to then further again accelerate the rate at which they're putting people out of work. Those new contexts led to these new fantasies and and actions uh, of sabotage, right? Much in the way that office technology didn't exist, uh, has existed or had existed for a while at this point, um, and that it was the new context and arrangements for them uh, which were to create dehumanizing, uh, repetitive labor, you know, um, you know, these things draining at the soul, doing, you know, all sorts of psychic damage to the workers, you know, eventually, you know, ran up into a point. It's like what, uh, you know, David Graper would talk about in uh, Bullshit Jobs, where he was like, you know, there is an immense amount of psychic damage that's done to the human soul because we have so many jobs that literally don't need to exist. And, and the people uh, we, working those jobs know they don't need yeah, to exist. Yeah, right. You know, how, um, what, what is, what does that do to a person where they know, one, that the job they know doesn't need to exist, but two, they have to do it to make ends meet and to survive. So three, they have to develop all these strategies to make it seem like it's useful. And then four, they have to also be treated by their boss as if like, okay, this work is very important and you are either doing it or not doing it, or, you know, entering a new game uh, where there's new levels of resentment, new technologies that are being used that they might also have uh, new uh, relationships or resentments or hangups about. Um, all of this culminating into what, you know, back then would have been manifested as sabotage. And here, I mean, there are plenty of ways to do sabotage, right? If you work at a company whose um, main purpose is to translate uh, bureaucratic files from French to German, right? As one of his, uh, one of the fun examples he proposed in that book was, uh, that's a useless job, but there's easy ways to sabotage it, right? But there are also Mm -hmm. easy ways to get found out for sabotaging it. And so it's, it's like, you know, uh, a constant dance trying to figure out what, where you could it's do antagonism. It's class antagonism, right? Mm-hmm. And it and it has to and and it it necessarily uh, like necessarily manifest in terms of a class struggle. Yeah, um, that's what PyCon was uh, uh, was talking about in the uh, in the book review, uh, asking, "Is it okay to be a luddite?" You know, our man was saying that yes, it is, and also it's. You know, there's a class, there are things that called classes and they're at war and Luddism is in one way or another uh, a reflection of that reality. Exactly, exactly. It is a manifestation of class antagonism, but it's an antagonism that is completely asymmetrical, right? Like capital's antagonism to labor is so much more overpowered than labor's antagonism to capital, right? But like, but the, the purpose there is that capital's whole uh whole like like motivation is to wipe out the antagonism to wipe out the struggle um any act of resistance any act of struggle or sabotage is an act too much for capital to tolerate 